John chapter 18. I'm going to start reading at verse 39, and we're going to go to verse 4 of chapter 19. It says, this is Pilate speaking to the Lord, well, actually speaking to the people, but you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And so he's got this hard decision that he's trying to make, and he's trying to deflect it to the people at this point. Notice how he refers to Jesus Christ, king of the Jews, and so he's trying to hammer that point home. Do you want this man? This man is your king, isn't he? Verse 40, then they all cried again, saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Chapter 19, verse 1, So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, king of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold, the man, Pontius Pilate, again, he's in the midst of his dilemma that all humanity has to deal with. What do I do with this man, Jesus? What do I do with him? From the atheist to the cultist to whoever, all humanity will have to make the determination, what do they do with this man, Jesus? And so Pilate has a dilemma. He's got this situation that requires a course of action, to, well, one or the other, and both of them, well, they're equally difficult. This is a dilemma that he's been going back and forth with, and as he is making this consideration, he finds himself between a rock and a hard spot. If I release this man, if I set this man free, I see the control that the Jews have over the people, and they're more than likely is going to be right. Keep in mind, it's the Passover time, and there's over two million men of military age in the city at that point. But if I crucify him, then I could start a riot in that regard as well, because it's very obvious that this man is innocent, and Pilate could just think back of a couple of days, because I'm sure he was well aware of the situation when Jesus made his triumphal entry. Because here there was going to be this entry of this man who, well, the Jews were thinking that they, he was going to expel Rome and, and restore Israel back to its prominence. And so Rome was on a high awareness at that time. And this man came in riding on a donkey. And they were all crying out, restore now, restore now, Hosanna, Hosanna. And so he was well aware of that. And so this man did seem to have the heart of some people as well. And so he's trying to balance these things out, and as we find ourselves in such situations, he's working these things not for the benefit of the Lord or the benefit of the people, but the benefit of himself. He doesn't want to look bad in the eyes of Caesar. Caesar did not want insurrection within his borders, and so it was up to Pilate to keep things calm, to keep things cool. And so all humanity, as they make their decision on Christ, it's one way or the other. Is it going to be the world and the things that the world has to offer? Or am I going to make a decision to, to Christ, to come to Christ, forsaking the world and, and coming to him? Pilate, he wasn't going to forsake the world. Herod, he wasn't going to, I'm sorry, he wasn't going to forsake, yeah, he wasn't going to forsake the world and the status that he had in the world and the things that he had. We all need to make that decision. Your kids right now, they're studying in Genesis chapter 12. And 
as I gave the devotion before service, something that I hadn't really considered before. But you see in Genesis chapter actually 11, verse 31, it says, And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot and the son of Haran and his daughter-in-law Sarai and his son Abram's wife, and they went out with him from Ur the Chaldeans to the land of Cana, and they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now something interesting happened, because this is Abram's father. His physical father was only going to bring him, only able to bring him, so far and then it came that time that the lord decided needed to take that physical father out of his life and it's as this man was taken out of abram's life that the lord entered in and you move into chapter 12 verse 1 now the lord said to abram get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that i will show you and so Pilate, he's trying to hold on to his position but he's got to make a decision for christ one way or the other the Jews, they want to hold on to their position and probably their money-making uh, operation in the temple, and they're making their decision for Christ, and unfortunately Israel is going to make their decision to reject Christ as well. Another example would be in the man Moses in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. It says, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. He looked to that eternal reward rather than that temporary reward or that worldly reward. Forsook the things of the world. Now again, Moses, he was prince in the most powerful and richest nation of the world, at that time and he could have made the decision for what the world had to offer but he refused that and he chose the lord instead and so you have Pilate, who's got this decision to make and it's that which he vacillates back and forth so what is Pilate going to do with jesus well the one thing he knows about jesus christ and the one thing that we know or not one thing but a thing we know as well is jesus is obviously innocent Pilate knows that he should set him free but again he knows if he does there's going to be issues and then on top of it all he's got this dream not his own but that of his wife in matthew 27 19 now they believe that their gods would speak to man through dreams it says in matthew 27 19 while he was sitting on the judgment seat while he is making these determinations of christ just think of this he's making this he's vacillating back and forth it's early in the morning it's probably around six o'clock they probably made this determination or at least set all of this up beforehand he was probably supposed to give this guilty verdict but then now he's faced with Jesus Christ and he's understanding. Now keep in mind, he's looking into the eyes of Christ. As you look into the eyes of Christ, you're looking into the eyes of God. And how could he possibly pronounce this man guilty? So all of a sudden, there's this great dilemma that's going on. And then his wife gets out of bed and comes over and tells him, his wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things to him and a dream because of him. And so all of a sudden, he's got this great conflict that is going on. What do I do with Jesus Christ? 
And so he's searching for a way out, and we can look at other Gospels and see some of the things that he does. And so he comes to the determination, maybe I can pawn him off on Herod. Maybe Herod can do something. I'll just send him over there and get him out of my hair. He does, but what does Herod do? Herod sends him back because Herod comes to the same conclusion, this guy's innocent. Maybe if he has Jesus tortured or, or scourged, it will spark compassion in the crowd. And he did, but they don't seem to care. And then all of a sudden, it hits him. I mean, have you ever thought of that? You've, I mean, not necessarily your decision for the Lord, but just you've got this situation that, this just this dilemma that you don't know which way to go. And so you say, what am I going to do? And then all of a sudden, it's like that proverbial light bulb goes off. I know what I'm going to do. And then we have verse 39. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? This is a Jewish custom. It was to be a symbol of the mercy of God during Passover. As God released them from the bondage of Egypt, so they would, as per their custom, release a prisoner. Obviously, Pilate knew of it. I doubt if he ever used it before. He probably observed it. Now, all of a sudden, he's seeing it as a way out. And so, who better than Jesus? Who better than Jesus would they want released? But then he gets a very unexpected response. Then they all cried again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Now, more than likely, what is going on is, and that's why all of a sudden Barabbas' name comes up, well, his name has probably been very prominent. And so you got these two prominent prisoners. You've got Jesus Christ and Barabbas. Well, he never brought up Barabbas, so they all know about this man, Barabbas, and so all of a sudden they start yelling for him. Now, this account of Barabbas, it's got to be of utmost importance because God has chosen to include it in each of the Gospels. If, something, if God includes something in each of the Gospels, such as the feeding of the 5,000, there's something that is of the utmost importance here. Now, Barabbas, if you put all the Gospels together, he's referred to as an insurrectionist. More than likely, he was going, it was his plan to expel Rome, a murderer. And so Pilate's kind of surprised that they chose him. So I'm wondering, I've always thought, well, he probably murdered some Romans, which he may have, but he probably murdered some Jews as well. A notorious prisoner, so again, he's well known. And then John speaks of him as a robber. It's kind of, some theologians say it's very possible that the two thieves upon the cross were some of his cohorts. And so you can take that or you can leave that regardless. But he's probably, he was probably trying to expel Rome. Barabbas, Barabbas was a Jewish terrorist of some sort. He broke the law and well known amongst the Jews and probably committed crimes against the Jews. But he was doing what they wanted Jesus to do. Remember, they wanted Jesus to expel Rome. This man is attempting to do that, and so that's why they could change their alliance. They found somebody who's doing their well. Now, they probably know it's not going to happen. They probably figured he's going to be arrested within a short time after that, but at least it gets rid of Christ. It gets rid of that dilemma. It's that dilemma, not just Pilate, but all are working with at this point, or dealing with at this point. 
And the thing about Barabbases is compared to Jesus, you will always have Barabbases and you can deal with them with enough, enough money, enough troops, enough police, whatever it might be. In their mind, Jesus is the dangerous one. Why? Because he's able to grasp the hearts of the people. And he did. And he has throughout the ages. He's grasped the hearts of humanity. He's that which the world tries to make the determination of what they're going to do with him. They thought they put him to death, but they made him more alive than he ever was. And he continues to, to reveal himself to people. And he continues to cause this dilemma to well up. Did you have this dilemma in an unsafe state? Did you? I had the dilemma. Did you have the dilemma? I, I, I can whittle it down to one event, but it happened so many times. But again, this friend of mine invited me to a movie. And he just said, hey, you want to go to... Sure. You know, I didn't know what we were going to go see. And where is it at? Well, down in Costa Mesa, we're going to go watch a movie down there. And he brought me to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And there was an end-time movie, and I don't remember much about the movie. And I remember there was a guy who came out and gave a message and an invitation. I remember he had long hair and a beard, but nonetheless, I just wasn't prepared. But one thing I do know is that Christ was there. Christ was revealed to me, and once again... I had to make a decision. What am I going to do with Jesus? And I remember that very clearly, that Christ was presented to me and the decision was offered to me by the Lord. I mean, through the message, but by the Lord, and there was absolutely no doubt. I knew that I needed to submit my life to him. I needed to give my life to him. I didn't really understand all of that stuff, but I knew what was offered was what I needed. I didn't receive Jesus Christ at that moment, but that was all part of the process that God used in my life. And so what do we do? We do the work that Carl did. Now, Carl never shared the Lord with me. I mean, we used to party together in high school, then he became one of those Jesus freaks kind of a thing. But he never shared the, the Lord with me, but he did play a part in my salvation just through that invitation. And so I, I see that Christ was constantly presented to me. There was a gentleman, Greg, who worked with me that did share the gospel with me. And it was all of these things that God worked in my life, presenting Christ, and, it would, and, and that's, that's where the uncomfortableness was because it always brought that dilemma back to me, that dilemma, that, that choice that needed to be made that I was refusing to make, but I knew that I needed to make. There was no way, being a good Catholic boy, that I was going to refuse Christ outrightly, but I did. I did, because to not make a choice for the positive is to make a choice for the negative. But Christ never gave up, and he continued to pursue me, and he continued to pursue me until the day of my salvation. So you've got Barabbas. We don't know what happened to Barabbas. I would imagine he went back to what he did, very well could have been captured again, and and crucified, maybe because of Christ's death for him, that he, he received Christ as his Lord and Savior. We just don't know. But there's Jesus, the dangerous one, because he's able to grasp the hearts of the people. And so what we really have in this man, Barabbas, is a picture of Christ's substitutionary death for a hopeless sinner, just like you. You were just like Barabbas. You, you were an insurrectionist against God. You were a murderer. You were a notorious prisoner, and you were a robber. You were no different. Maybe you can fill in different sins there, but it doesn't matter. It just takes one to set us apart. And even worse than that, 
just as truly. What, what was Barabbas doing? Barabbas is in prison. He's just waiting until they come and get him and drag him off to Calvary because that's, that's where they did the crucifixions. And he was as good as dead. And there was no way he was getting away from the Roman army and a Roman garrison. It just wasn't going to happen. And so he's just waiting. He's just there in prison waiting for his death. And isn't that the description of us all apart from Christ? We're just in our prison, the prison of the world, and trying to be as comfortable as we can with the sins that we were committing. But we were all as good as dead. We were just waiting for the sentence to be executed. But then came Christ. Then came Christ. And Christ died so that we would be released. And again, you see this great picture, this man Barabbas, who has absolutely no hope in himself, no hope in the world, but his hope, his hope is in Jesus Christ. In Mark chapter 2, verse 16 through 17, it says, And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Christ came for those people who were insurrectionists, murderers, notorious prisoners and robbers, and whatever else you want to add to that. Those who were in prison and couldn't do a thing for themselves. Those who were under the sentence of death and were just waiting for that moment. Those are the ones whom Christ has come because we were the ones who fulfilled that position. And so Christ came for us. And so check out this man. Check out Barabbas. Look at his name. And look what it represents in this name. Barabbas. It's a compound name, if you will. Bar means son. Abbas means of a father. This is the son of a father. And and the point being is, is that this man represents all those who are a son or a daughter of a father. It represents all of humanity. The same way as we just looked at Abram as his father had to die. Why did his father have to die? Because God wanted to meet him in a personal way. Maybe his father was coming in between the two of them. I don't know. Maybe it was necessary for his father to be taken out of the, out of the picture in order for him to take that journey of faith according to the commands of God. I know that that's what God did in my life because when I came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, my father was taken out of the picture. It wasn't when he died, but it was before that. But my father kind of left the picture when we walked away from the church, at least in his definition of it, and we went in the way or that way. And God took my father out of the picture. But I see the necessity of it now because my dependency and my focus needed to be upon the Lord. And looking at Abram, that's where his focus needed to be. Not in the leading of his father, but in his obedience to God and his obedience to God's call. That he would follow him into the promised land and he would become, Abram, the father of our faith. When we speak of Father Abraham in relation to the church, he was the first to exhibit faith and believe. And because of that, righteousness was accounted to him. And in that regard, he's the father of us all because it's as we believe that righteousness is accounted to us. But you have this man, Barabbas, he's son of the father, and all those who are just son of the father, they're in jail, they're waiting to die. But then in contrast to that, you have Jesus Christ, who is the son of the father. And so you have these two men, this one man who can't do a thing for himself. So what are they looking at in Barabbas? Let's crucify Christ, and this will be our Savior, if you will. 
This will be the man who Hosanna, who saves now. This will be the man who fulfills our dreams. Well, they crucify the Christ. You never hear Barabbas again. I pray that he was saved. But one thing I do know is he didn't deliver Israel because no man could deliver Israel. It's Jesus Christ who is able to deliver us. Why? Because he is the son, not of a father, but he is the son of the father. And really the point being is Barabbas and all of mankind has the essence and the nature of his father. The essence, well, for me, my father was Italian. I have the essence of my father. Nature, my father was a sinner. I'm a sinner. But Jesus Christ has the essence and the nature of his father. The essence is is that he's God. The nature is that he's completely holy, completely pure. And so Barabbas, he's in jail. He's in jail because he deserves to be in jail. He's in jail because he's guilty and he is deserving of death. Jesus, he's innocent and not deserving of death. And so, again, think of yourself. Apart from Christ, you were in that jail. And one of the things that you know, when, when you're in a jail and you realize, when you realize that life's got nothing to offer, all these things that I thought were so important, all these things that I thought, thought would be so fulfilling, and they, and they end up to be so, so, so unfulfilling and, and so useless, really, you realize that you're in jail. It's not what I thought it would be, and where do I go from here? And, and then you come, well, how did I get to this place? And you realize the guilt. And, and again, we just saw it in John chapter 16. You keep going back there. That's the work of the Holy Spirit as you're in prison, and he's convicting you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. You're in this prison, this prison that life is because of the sinful nature of mankind, and, and sin, righteousness, and that there is a God. And there is a God and there is a way out. But the problem is you keep refusing him of judgment because you know, just as Barabbas knew, I mean, can you imagine sitting in that prison or in any prison on death row? That's where he is. He's on death row. All humanity's on death row, but he's on death row. I wonder if it's going to hurt. I wonder what it's going to be like. I, I, I wonder how it's going to turn out. I, I wonder, you, you know, I, I've seen him before and I, I've seen the scourgings. And part of the process of the crucifixion was the scourging that they would bring you to the doorstep of death so they could drag you up on that hill and then you would for sure die upon the cross. If you didn't, they would break your legs. But nonetheless, as, you're, as this is happening, what's that scourging? I mean, did you see the, the movie The Passion as, as the Lord was shredded? And, and, and can you imagine that happening to you? And then carrying the cross and going up there and having those spikes driven through your hands. And to be raised up on that cross. And, and can imagine if, if, if that was you. And, and so that's what Barabbas is going through. But that's all that all humanity goes through as we're sitting in the prison that life is apart from God. Just waiting for that day, that day that we're going to die because judgment's coming. And as judgment's coming, there's no one that is going to be able to deliver. There's no one that's going to be able to stop except for the Lord. Except for the Lord Jesus Christ. And there he is. Barabbas, he's going to have a taste of that. And that one, they're going to come knocking on that jail door. At least he's going to hear the rattling of the keys or whatever they did back then. And instead of, here's the cross, they're going to say, here's freedom. That man there, he's dying for you. He's going to pay the price that you should have to be paid. And again, it makes me wonder, I wonder what happened with that life. I wonder what that man did from that point on. I don't know. Nobody knows but I know what this man is able to do. You ought to know what you're able to do based upon
price seeing the value of your life this isn't a decision of the people as far as your salvation this is a decision of God God revealed himself to you because he desired you he did not desire that you would perish but that you would have everlasting life and it was because of that that Christ was hung upon the cross so that we would all be set free Barabbas you can kind of shift gears a little bit here and look from Barabbas to the Apostle Paul because the Apostle Paul was just as frustrated because, if you will, he was in the same death cell. Um, Paul was never arrested, obviously, at least while he was a, a Pharisee, but he was still under the penalty of death. And we have that picture in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. He says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Though I was formerly, and you can look at Paul's list of sins and compare it to Barabbas's and compare it to yours, although I was formerly, not anymore, but formerly, a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy. Same thing. Barabbas did not get what he deserved. Paul didn't get what he deserved. I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundantly. He even gave me a ministry, and he even gave me eternal life. We, we know that Barabbas got mercy. We don't know if Barabbas got grace. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus, that which is displayed upon the cross. And this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world, why? To save sinners. And Paul's saying, I'm the chief. I'm the chief. And when he says, somebody was trying to convince me that when he says the chief, he was the best of them all. But what his point is, he was the worst of them all. Uh, he was the worst of all sinners. Why is he the worst of all sinners? Well, you should consider yourself to be the worst. You say, Paul, you're not right. I'm the worst of all sinners. Because you know every dirty, stinking sin you've ever committed. You know the magnitude of the sinner that you are. And on top of that, Paul understood that he was the chief of all sinners because he used to go and persecute people because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And I think that was a weight that he would carry throughout his ministry, the knowledge of that. And if not, I think the times that he would be able to put it aside, I think people would remind him of that. It's very possible that was the thorn in his side as well. Verse 16, however, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first Christ Jesus might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. So it's okay that you're the chief of all sinners, at least formally were, because as big as a sinner as Paul did, God's grace was sufficient. As big of a sinner as we are, God's grace is sufficient. Now to the, and in Paul every so often, especially when he goes into the depths of sin, every so often he breaks into a doxology, just kind of this little, this little verse of praise, verse 17. Now to the king eternal and immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What's he doing? He's breaking out in a new song, a fresh awareness of the grace of God. Is all he's doing is he's writing, he's trying to encourage people by his testimony, but once he gets into his testimony, he realizes the depths of who he was, but also the height of who Christ is, and it just causes him, it just causes him to sing out. And so we were all destined for the same cross that um, Barabbas was the same cross in the picture here anyway that Paul was um, Donald Barnhouse says we are all of Abram of Adam's race 
We have been bound over for our sedation against God. We are robbers of his glory. We are murderers of our souls and the souls of others. We find ourselves bound in the darksome prison house of sin. We have all found ourselves there. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God is just. Something had to happen with your sin. Somebody had to pay the price. Again, Barabbas, somebody has to pay the price. Jesus is going to go and pay the price, not just for his sins, but the sins of the world. And as Christ is upon the cross, as darkness comes upon the land, Christ holds the sins of the world upon his shoulder the only one that could possibly deal with that. Why was it necessary for Christ to die? So many reasons, but you've got a vivid picture here. What brings death? Sin brings death. Christ needed to die so that we realize that sin came upon him. The only way that Christ, being God, could possibly die would be for sin to come upon him. So that's how we know he took sin upon him because he died. Now, you could say, well, anybody goes and gets nailed to a cross is going to die. Why is that? Because we're all sinners. But there's something different about this guy. He comes back. It's the beauty of the resurrection. And, and so what we see here is that it seems the sin had the better of him, but now we look at on the backside, but he achieved victory over sin. Yeah, he may have died, but he didn't stay dead. He achieved that victory over sin, and it's why it was necessary not only for him to be resurrected, but to be seen, and, and, and to be seen and, and, and to be handled, as we'll be looking at when we enter into to chapter 20 and doubting Thomas and to see the wounds, but to see the life that is right before him. And it's then that he's able to be uh, able to ascend back into heaven so that we would know just as truly as the death, but the resurrection came to pass, that in the ascension we know that he sit, is seated at the right hand of the Father, able to make intercession for all of humanity. Entering into chapter 19, verses 1 through 5, So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe, and they said, Hell, king of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing that crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Look at this poor fellow is how the language reads. You desire the son of a man, a Barabbas, but now look what you have done, what you have caused to happen to the son of God. Now make no mistake about it, Pilate is doing this or causing this to happen, but the idea is he's blaming it on the Jews. Look what you guys are doing. He's hoping that compassion would well up inside of him. Now the world doesn't mind looking at him, although they only want to see him as they wish to. I mean, the world, they don't have a problem looking at the Christmas baby, but it's the Easter Lord that they have an issue with. And, and it's that conviction that is there and the realization. Well, to truly behold the man, what you're going to see here is they're looking at him and they're seeing the punishment through the scourging. They're seeing, again, the thorns that have been placed upon his head. Now, the thorns that were placed upon his head, going back to Genesis chapter 3, we see thorns are a picture of sin. And now he's been crowned. What The, the sin has been placed upon him. And, and that's symbolic. He's king, but he, he's 
upholding the sins of the world. We see the robe. He truly is king. And he's king because he has paid this price. But above, not above all, but in the midst of all, he's innocent. Judas realized that. Matthew 27, 4. I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And it was too much for Judas to bear. Pilate's wife, as we look in Matthew 27, 19, have nothing to do with that just man. Again, his innocence is what's really pushing through to her. Pilate, John, we just saw it, 1838. I find no fault in him at all. There's no charges to be brought up against this man. Herod, Luke 23, 15. <clears throat> and indeed, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. The thief on the cross, Luke 23, 41. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. The centurion, Luke 23, 47. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And the crowd at the foot of the cross in Matthew 27, 54. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. And so what is happening here is these people are just looking upon Jesus. Again, think of who they're looking upon. As you look upon man, you know he's guilty of something, but this is man is absolute purity, complete innocence. And it's that which not knowing all the details of this, this man's life, but there's the spirit here, and they're realizing the magnitude of his purity, the magnitude of his innocence. And the second thing that people see when looking upon Christ, well, when you see the innocence of Christ, you see your guilt. You see your sin. The people saw mirrored in the beaten and disfigured Lord that moral deformity that they feared to discover within themselves. As you look at the innocence of Christ, you see your guilt. And it's the same reaction that we can have when we see, you know, for instance, the homeless or somebody who's suffering. Somebody's had a, a family member die. I've had people that have lost a loved one and said, you know what, I, I went through all of that. Nobody even called. Nobody even called and said, I'm sorry or, or whatever. And really what it is is you look at that and you're worried what if that happens to me? And people can kind of be cruel and they can shun people because really what it opens up is the mortality of man. And we start looking at our own mortality and, you know, apart from Christ, it's a hard thing to deal with. And so as they're looking at the innocence of this man, they want to do away with this man because there's the knowledge of their sinful nature as well. If I truly behold Jesus, then I must truly behold myself. If I see the perfection of the Lord, I'm going to see the imperfection of my life as well. Then there would be that point in every person's existence. Now, when I say existence, I mean life here and life in the future, that they will behold the man. All humanity, anybody that has ever existed, will behold the man, and they will see him for who he is, and it will be absolutely undeniable the scripture is very clear philippians chapter 2 verses 10 through 11 and at the name of jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and those under the earth that every tongue should confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of the father jesus christ is lord plenty of names in the bible concerning christ it's filled volumes people have written books on the names of jesus christ 
We've all have many names that describe us. I've had many names. My given name is Michael Joseph Ursioli, although I have been addressed in many other ways. I've been called son. I've been called student. I've been, I've been called electrician, boyfriend, husband, father, papa, and pastor. But God has given me a name which is above every other name. I'm a Christian. I'm a child of God. I'm of the Lord. And so again, think of all of Jesus' names. Messiah, Son of Man, Son of God, Prophet, Priest, King, Alpha and Omega, the Door, the Light, the Bread of Life, Beloved, Emmanuel, but the name that is above all other names is Jesus Christ is Lord. He's Lord. And that speaks of the deity of Christ. To the Jew, it's Adonai. Adonai was the name substituted for Yahweh, the God who is. Jesus Christ, he's the God who is. As these people are looking upon him, they're seeing this man who seems to be humbled. But this is the power of God for the forgiveness of sins. They're seeing the beginning of something that is going to be an occurrence that happened upon this earth that has never happened in the past and will never happen in the future. This is Christ being prepared for that time, that point upon the cross, that the absolute power of God is going to disintegrate sin for those who believe. And it's through that that we see that this name truly is above all other names, that he is the God who is. And it's because of that that we confess. It's because of that that we bow our knee before the Lord. Again, Doubting Thomas, he's going to have a little picture of that. As he examines the wounds of the Lord, my God, my Lord, my Lord, my Lord. And as he realizes he's God, he's Savior, He's understanding the magnitude of who Christ is. It's great that Jesus Christ is God, but it's even greater that he is a personal God. Because when you look at the Jewish word for Lord, Adonai, it has a personal ending which carries, or causes the name of Christ to be my Lord and my God. And that's what's essential. That's what's going to make all the difference. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And they're either going to confess him as being Lord, because they're going to come, unbeliever will come to that realization, their knee will bow, their tongue will confess, or for the believer, it's my Lord, and it's my God, because that is what's going to make all the difference. Is it he is Lord, or is it he's my Lord? And so for those who have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, we need to understand the magnitude of what that means. My Lord and my Lord is my Savior. In the world, I had a lot of lords, but none of them were a Savior. Matter of fact, most of them brought me into bondage. But since Christ came into my life, sure, I became a slave to Christ, but it's made all the difference for all of eternity. Father, once again, just as Christ was set up in, in front of all of these people, and Pilate cried out, Behold the man! I pray, Father, that we would make our considerations of Christ as well. And when I say our, I mean born-again believers. That, Lord, we would once again revisit who Christ is in our life. And, and, Lord, just all that you have done for us, that, Lord, you have forgiven us of our sins. You have opened the gates of heaven before us. And I just pray, Father, that we would hold that dear. And I pray, Father, that we would be bold in that because, Father, you were bold for us. And so, Lord, we were just as dead as Barabbas was, but, Father, you have brought us back for new light. You brought us to the point 
of new life. And for that, Lord, I just pray that we would rejoice. I pray, Father, that we would be a people who would sing out. And so, Father, I pray that that knowledge goes before us, but we would hold that dear, that the name above all other names is Jesus Christ is Lord. It speaks of that personal relationship, but it also speaks, Father, that you're the one who guides us through this life, and you're the ones who will guide us into all of eternity. We thank you, Father, and we praise you for your goodness. We lift these things to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please? We have the information on the TVs, and it's in the bulletin. We're starting a couple study. Matter of fact, ordering some of the books even tonight. So I encourage you, if you're going to be coming to the couple study, information's in the bulletin to get signed up for that. And also, we're going to be having a men's golf tournament. It's not about winning a tournament. It's not about being good at golf. It's all about the fellowship. And it's all about the difference that you're able to make. If you've never played golf before, that's okay. We play best ball. As long as we stick somebody with you that's halfway decent and you can just whack at the ball, it doesn't matter where it goes, but it's just a matter of being there and fostering this fellowship amongst the men. That's the purpose for it. So I encourage you guys to get signed up for that as well. Other than that, I'll see you Sunday morning. God bless you guys.